Shall we give the Lord a clap offering, church? Hallelujah. It is a joy and a privilege to bring God's word into your homes. Today, we're bringing a brand new sermon series from the book of Habakkuk. Now, this morning's sermon is dealing with doubt. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. We acknowledge that Holy Spirit is our teacher. Give us listening ears, mighty God, and open our eyes to see the wonderful truth from your word and give us grace to obey your word. We thank you in Jesus' precious name and the people of God said, amen and amen. Dealing with doubt, Habakkuk chapter one, verses one to verse 11. You know, in the course of church history, the church had to deal with many problems. Two in particular comes to mind. Before the year 1914, the church had to deal with the problem of science. Reconciling Bible with scientific knowledge. Francis Bacon, a scientist, said this, a little science separates a man from God. A lot of science brings him back. See, this whole argument about creationism versus evolution, that everything happened randomly by chance, rather than a creator who intelligently put everything together. The more someone studies science, they will be convinced that there is a creator who brought everything together for his purpose and for his glory. Fred Hoyle, a famous astronomer and mathematician, he was trying to explain the probability of things happening by chance with this example. He said, imagine there are blind men. How many blind men? One, 10 to the power of 50. That means one, and next to one, there are 50 zeros. Imagine 10 to the power of 50. That's the number of blind men. And each of them have been given a scrambled Rubik's cube. And imagine if they are all trying to solve and they arrive at the solution simultaneously. That's the probability of things happening by chance. In another way of explaining it, it's like this. You walk into a hardware shop and suddenly there is a big bang and right in front of you, everything comes together and bam, there is a BMW 7 Series. That is how ridiculous it is when you say things happen by chance or by evolution. See, you and I, we need to think about this. Science can't explain everything. Imagine a ball that is bouncing into this room. Science can explain a few things. It can explain what the ball is made of. Secondly, how far the ball will travel before it stops. That means it can explain the kinetic energy. But science can never explain who threw the ball in and why. See, the question of meaning and significance can only be answered by a creator. That's why the problem of science is no longer a problem. Why? Because the more they look into it, they understand there is an intelligent design beautifully put together by a creator. After 1914, the church experienced problem of history. This is reconciling Bible with the events of history. If God is a good God, 
why would he allow bad things to happen to good people? If God is truly in charge, he's sovereign, he's good, he's wise, he's in control, then why there were two world wars? Why was there a holocaust? Why are there ethnic cleansings and genocides in so many parts of the world? If God is truly God and he is good and he is in control, why are there broken marriages and wayward children? Why would I fail my test, my driving test for the 16th time? See, this is, these are questions that we sometimes struggle with. You know, in this COVID season, the question that plagues everyone is, why would God allow COVID to happen? People have lost their jobs. People have lost their loved ones. People are recovering and they are saying about the long COVID recovery. I want you to listen to me carefully. Even in the recent times, why would Afghanistan be given back to Taliban and Taliban are now persecuting the church. The Christians are being murdered, executed for their faith. Now, these are questions that plague us. And the question is always trying to reconcile the goodness of God, trying to reconcile a good God who is in control, and trying to reconcile what is going on in the world today. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people. I want you to think about this. There are three views about God. Atheism, deism, and theism. What is atheism? Atheism is God doesn't exist. In other words, there is no God. Whatever is happening is happening by chance, random. Deism is God exists, but he is uninvolved in history. He's uninvolved in the human affairs. So what controls what happens in human history is the social, political, and economic laws. But there is theism. What is theism? Theism is God exists and is fully involved in human affairs. Now, you and I are theists because we believe we have a God in heaven who is sovereign, who is wise, who is good, and he is in charge of all that is happening in the world today. See, you and I, we need to recognize God doesn't create evil, but God controls evil to accomplish his purposes. God will bring about his purposes come to pass. But you and I have an issue when bad things happen to good people. And when things don't go the way that you expect them to go, questions arise, confusions happen. As a result, there is a crisis of belief. And crisis of belief is usually identified by two things, doubts of the mind and questions in the heart. There is doubt in the mind and questions in our heart. Why would God let this happen to me? And I look at the wicked, they are prospering. But I look at the righteous, they are suffering. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Now, this is the question that is examined in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk means wrestle or embrace. Very little is known of this prophet, but he must have been a person who wrestles before God and he embraced God even in the inconsistencies of life. 
So in this book, three chapters, I see a beautiful movement of faith. In the first chapter, there was a prophetic burden. He had a prophetic burden before God that he was wrestling with. So from wrestling in chapter one, in chapter three, he moves into a place of resting. From a place of worrying before God and wondering what God is doing in chapter one, he enters into chapter three with worship and with contentment. So from confusion to contentment, from a sob to a song, from wrestling to resting, that's the book of Habakkuk. So chapter one deals with a prophetic burden. Chapter two deals with a prophetic vision. Chapter three deals with a prophetic intercession. Another way of saying this is faith is tested in chapter one and faith is taught in chapter two and faith is triumphant in chapter three. Now, I wanna give you a background of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was written around 600 BC. Habakkuk is a prophet that was contemporary to um, Jeremiah and Nahum. Now, he was a prophet who prophesied before the exile and he looked at the burden, he looked at the violence, he looked at the strife, he looked at the contention, he looked at all the injustice that was happening in society and how the people of God, the righteous, were being oppressed. And he says, Lord, when will you deliver us? And the Lord gave him a reply. And the reply confused him even more. So first, he's perplexed by what he's seeing. And secondly, he's looking at what he's seeing and God is answering him and again, He's perplexed even more. And that is what we are going to explore in this book. Praise God. I want you to think about your own life. Has there been any situations where you are confused and you ask God why and how long? Maybe you'll find answers in this book of Habakkuk. I want to explore just this one question with you. Why do we get confused by what we see happening around us? Why do we get confused by what we see happening within us. Now this, I want to give you two things, two reasons for confusion in troubled times. And I want to give you two applicational principles. What are the two reasons why we get confused during troubled times? One, the mysterious ways of God. Secondly, the misunderstood work of God. Let's look at it one by one. The mysterious ways of God. See, the Bible says in Habakkuk chapter one, one, verse one to verse four deals with the complaint that Habakkuk brings before God. And from verse five all the way to verse 11, the Lord gives him a reply. And the reply actually puzzles him and causes him to have more questions. So I want us to read the first four verses and I want you to see the mysterious ways of God in how he dealt with Habakkuk. Look at this. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. In these first four verses, you see him asking the question, how long? Why I keep crying out to you and why are you making me see iniquity? 
Why are you idle? Why are you silent? It's almost like he's questioning the indifference of God to his prayers. He's questioning the unconcern of God. And that's where I want you to understand the mysterious ways of God. Firstly, it is this, when God seems slow in his response. You may ask this question time to time. I have been praying and I don't see any answer to my prayer. Why is God silent? When will he heal me? When will he open the borders so that I can reunite with my fiance? When will he open the doors for me? I'm stuck. When will he bring my loved one to salvation? There are so many questions in our hearts that we wrestle with sometimes because God seems slow in his response. The second thing that helps me understand the mysterious ways of God is when God seems strange in his answers. From verse 5 to verse 11, the Lord is giving the prophet a reply. And this reply looks very strange. See, sometimes God is like this. He does answer our prayers, but the prayer, the answer to our prayer doesn't come in the, does, doesn't come in the form of a result, but it comes in the form of a reply. What do I mean by that? You go before God and you say, Lord, I want a car. I need a car. Provide for me one. But rather than providing you a car, the Lord says, take the bus. Take the public transport. Now, he didn't give you the result you wanted, but he gave you a reply. The same thing here. The prophet cries before God and says, Lord, how long will I suffer? How long will the injustice go unpunished? God says, no, I'm going to deal with it. And the answer he gives in verse 5 and verse 6, I want you to read it together with me. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Wow. God says to the prophet, I am doing work. You think I'm not doing work? I am doing work. And prophet says, how long? Why? And God says, no, I'm doing the work. But even if I tell you, you won't believe it. I want you to listen to me carefully. This answer seems so strange. Why? Because God says, behold, I'm raising the Chaldeans. Who are the Chaldeans? See, during the time of Habakkuk, there were two superpowers in the world. One was the Syria in the north and Egypt in the south. But God says, I'm going to raise a new superpower. And this superpower are most treacherous. They are most wicked. They are bitter and hasty nation. And they will be used by God to crush Judah, to bring judgment upon Judah, to bring discipline into Judah. And when the prophet hears this, this is a strange answer. He says, Lord, I'm crying out to you for help. I'm crying out to you for injustice. I'm crying out to you that you will come and rescue us and deliver us and do a work of revival among us. Instead, God says, I'm going to raise an enemy who will come and crush you. That seems strange, isn't it? See, our God is a God who does strange things, mysterious Sometimes we don't understand. See, for Moses, Moses was raised 
in the palace, but God used him mightily in the desert. For whereas Joseph was a young man who was raised in the desert and he was mightily used by the Lord in the palace. God's ways are mysterious. That's why you and I, we cannot figure out sometimes and we are wondering why God, what are you doing in my life? See, it's like this, you're stuck in a tunnel and you're, you can't see any light and suddenly you see light at the end of the tunnel and you're happy before you realize that light is not the end of the tunnel, it's a light that is coming from an oncoming train. See, you and I, we need to recognize that there are times in our lives we, we are overwhelmed by what we are seeing, we are confused. You know, a student was uh, walking around the campus with a t-shirt and the t-shirt had a big K in front. And the professor looked at that big K and said, hey, uh, what does this K stand for? So the student explained, this K is for confused. And the professor said, but confused is not spelled with K. The student replied, you don't know how much I'm confused. I want you to listen to me. You're gonna need to recognize that there are times that we are confused about what is going on. That's why we can't figure out in our natural mind what God is doing. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 and verse 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The third thing that seems mysterious in the ways of God is this, when God seems wrong in his choice. God says, I'm behold, I'm raising up Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And verse 11 says, these are guilty men whose own might is their God. In other words, they trust in their own might. They depend upon God. They don't depend upon God. They depend upon themselves. And they, they, they make themselves as gods. And here the Bible says, God is going to use them. So for Habakkuk, this was a wrong choice. Lord, they are not righteous. They are wicked. At least there are righteous people in Judah. But would you raise this uh, unrighteous Babylon to come and crush Judah? It seems like, God, this is an unlikely person for you to use. See, God uses unlikely people. In the Old Testament, there's a king by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of Persia who allowed the Jews to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So God used a pagan king to accomplish his purpose. So God is wise enough to use the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and powerful enough to use them to fulfill his purpose. But these are the mysterious ways of God. You know, it reminds me of a story of a soldier who was running from the battlefield. He was surrounded by, um, surrounded by the enemies and in his, he was panicking because he, he was without any help and he had no ammunition anymore. So he found a tunnel and he ran into the tunnel and he started to hide. And he could hear the, the enemies ca coming near him, surrounding him. So he cried out to God and said, Lord, please save me. Please save me. Please send me some help. At that time, all he saw was only a spider, a little spider starting to build a web in the opening of the tunnel. And he he was quite upset. He said, Lord, I was expecting two angels to appear and deliver me, but rather I see a small spider weaving a web. Little did he realize 
when the enemy soldiers came near and they looked within the tunnel, they, they saw a spider web and, and the soldier commented, hey, I don't think anyone has gone in here because there's a spider web here, it's undisturbed. So they walked away. And that's how he got spared. God didn't send him angels to rescue him. God sent him a creature, a spider. This is sometimes how mysterious the ways of God is. But sometimes when God seems silent, it doesn't mean that he's not working. He's still working his purposes in your life. But you don't see it. Let me give you an applicational principle. Take this to heart any time you're going through a painful season. God's ways is often mysterious. In other words, always recognize this, that God is working out his purposes in your life. God's will is being fulfilled in your life. You know, years ago, I preached a whole sermon series on knowing God's will. It's still available on the internet. It's a five-part series, but it's based on this one theological statement that I want you to capture. God's will is totally sovereign, gloriously redemptive, sometimes puzzling, but always perfect. When you're going through your tough time, recognize this, that God's will is totally sovereign. He's gloriously redemptive. He can bring all things to work together for your good. Sometimes it's puzzling, but it's always perfect. Hallelujah. Even in my own life, I've gone through so many things that I didn't understand. Why would a good God allow these things in my life? But you know what? One of the core things that I've come back time and time again is that God somehow weaves it all together for his glory and for his purpose. In time, you will recognize how beautiful the tapestry that he's weaving together. I want you to recognize that. Secondly, the second reason for confusion in troubled times is the misunderstood work of God. See, in these 11 verses, there are three groups of people that misunderstood what God was doing. And I want to highlight this because some of us are part of this group. The first group that misunderstood God's work are careless believers. Careless believers. Look at verse 5. The verse 5 says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. He says, you would not believe it even if I tell you. You couldn't see it yourself, but I tell you this is what I'm doing, and yet you couldn't see it, and yet when I tell you, you wouldn't believe it. In other words, these are careless believers who don't take to heart what is going on in the world, what God is doing in their life. They don't reflect upon their life. They don't take about, they don't carefully study the scriptures to see what God is saying. And they lack discernment and they don't have any faith. They don't believe. You know, sometimes we think if God appears to me and tells me, I will believe. Can I humbly say this? God sent a man by the name of Noah to preach righteousness to his generation. And God said to Noah, build an ark because I'm going to send a flood and the flood will destroy the whole earth. Did people believe? The Bible says they ridiculed Noah and they didn't believe. They refused to believe. Just because someone comes and tells you doesn't mean that you will believe. See, Lot and his family they were sent two mighty angels. The angels came and they proclaimed judgment is coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So run for your life to the mountains. They did run, but Lot's wife turned back and she saw the fire and she turned into a pillar of salt. In other words, just because you're told doesn't necessarily mean that you believe. That's why in the last days, one of the core things that you and I, we need to develop is that we need to develop faith and we need to exercise discernment. Jesus has already said before he returns, these are the things that will take place. There will be rumors of war. There will be nations rising against another nation. There will be famines. There will be floods. There will be earthquakes. There will be pestilences. If we take this to heart, we need to recognize that we are living in the last leg of the last days. Therefore, we turn to him. We live a godly and a holy life. But do we do that? We don't because we misunderstand the work of God by not believing, but not exercising discernment. The second group of people that misunderstood the work of God are the world. In this case, the Babylonians. Look at verse 11. The Bible says in verse 11, they are guilty men whose own might is their God. In other words, they thought they are victorious because they are very powerful, very strong. They had the military might and they had the strategic wisdom to be able to take all the nations. But what they didn't recognize is verse 6. Behold, I'm raising up Chaldeans. In other words, it was God who was raising them up. They were instruments in the hands of a mighty God. They were pawns being moved by the finger of God. That's why you and I, we need to recognize what goes on in the world is history. And history is his story. He is writing history. See, I told you earlier, God doesn't create evil, but he controls evil to accomplish his purposes. He uses every evil intention of men to bring about his purpose on planet earth. That's why you and I, we don't need to be confused. We can be fully aware that this is how God is working out his purposes. Thirdly, who misunderstands the work of God? The people of God. Sometimes it's the godly people like Habakkuk. In verse two and verse three, he cries out to God and he says, Lord, how long? Why are you causing me to see iniquity? In other words, he should be aware, he should be discerning, he should be wise, he should know what God is doing. He should, be, he should recognize the presence of God, he should recognize the promise of God, yet he was confused. Even the godly are confused. That's why I believe in the last leg of the last days, many people will walk away from faith because even they will be deceived. Even godly people may be duped into thinking believing into a lie, thinking that God is not at work. But can I humbly say this, recognize this, that God is always at work. Let me give you the second applicational principle. God's work is always magnificent. God's work is always magnificent. Whatever you see today is happening in your life that you, that you don't understand, just allow it. Just trust in his sovereignty. Trust in his wisdom. Trust in his plan of salvation. He will work it out. He will bring together a beautiful tapestry for his glory. See, years ago, I went before God and I said, Lord, I'm not sure why you bring an Indian man into a Chinese church. Our church was a Chinese church when I joined. 
Today is a flourishing multicultural church. But in those days, as an Indian man, I was crying out to God, Lord, why would you bring me here? And I saw a lot of closed doors that caused me to be anxious in my soul and saying, Lord, I want to serve you, but there are no opportunities. I want to do your will, but all I see is pain and hurt. And that season, God sent some prophets into my life, people who prayed for me. And there was one man who particularly prayed and he said, God will take you through a school of hard knocks where you and your wife will go through painful seasons and when you come out of it, God will bring you out of it one day and in that season, God will use you for his glory. Pastors will be educated and trained through your ministry because you will have a Bible college that helps them. Little did I understand at that time because I was going through painful season. I was in a pastor's retreat many, many years ago and I was crying before God because there was a period of it was a painful period in our ministry. And uh, the person who was leading that session said, turn to the person next to you and let the person pray for you. I turned around, there was a man of God who happens to be a mega church pastor. And he laid his hands on me and prayed for both Pastor Isa and I. And this is what he said. I see a beautiful uh, tapestry. God is weaving a beautiful masterpiece together. But before it is adorning the walls, it goes onto the floor on, a door front, on the front door and for people to trample on it. And after a while, God takes it and puts it on a, on a wall as a masterpiece. So right now you're going through the trampling season. Just hold on. I want you to listen to me carefully. There is suffering and suffering precedes glory. Cross precedes crown. Whatever you're going through today, you may not understand what God is doing. You may think that, Lord, I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't, I, it seems like you're not working. But know this, God is at work and he's accomplishing his purpose. So in conclusion, can I give you this? In your darkest hour, God is doing his deepest work. So know this, that God is actually doing his deep work in your life. But pastor, I don't see it. That's why in this church, we call this the necessary journey. So when, if you are in a necessary journey, where you don't see it and all you see is confusion, misunderstandings and, and, and mis it, everything is a mystery, can I humbly give you this suggestion that Andrew Murray wrote in his book? He says there are four anchors for people who are going through a tough season that they need to anchor their faith in these four things. Let me give you these four things. Number one, I'm here by God's appointment. In other words, I'm in this situation because God brought me here. I'm appointed. This is an appointment of God in my life. Number two, I'm here in his keeping, so I'm surrounded by his love and he will give me grace to behave as his child. He is keeping me. He's loving me and he will give me grace. I'm here by God's appointment. I'm loved by him. I'm kept by him and he will give me grace. What's the third one? While I'm here, I'm under God's training to teach me the lessons I'm to learn. In other words, in every situation I find myself in, God is teaching me something. What is he up to? What does he want me to learn? Become God-centered in your orientation. Be spiritual in your orientation. Recognize that God is at work. And number four, 
I'm here for God's time and he will bring me out again. How and when, he alone knows. In other words, I'm here until God wants me. But a day will come, he will bring me out of here. If he brings you in, he will bring you out. You stay in his mighty hand because the lifting up of your head is coming, says the Lord. I want you to listen to me carefully. You and I, sometimes we look at situations and we get confused. But what we need is a reorientation. What we need is a recalibration of our heart. We need to come back to recognize that God, you're always at work. And God, you're always able to deliver me, to provide me the grace I need in times of my need. Hallelujah. So are you confused? I pray that through this series that God will bring us from place of confusion to contentment. Are you wrestling in your soul today? I pray that God will bring you to a place from wrestling to resting, just like he brought Habakkuk. I want to pray with you, church. I want to pray for people who are especially going through a tough season. Maybe you feel like God is silent. He hasn't answered you. Or maybe you feel like God has forgotten you. He's not working. But I want to prophesy over you that God is at work in your life. God is actually doing a deep work in you and for you. In time to come, you will see the deliverance of the Lord. In time to come, you will see the salvation of the Lord in your household. In time to come, He will bring you together for His glory and for your good. But don't be in a rush. Don't be hasty. Don't take matters in your own hands. Don't rush to do things in a fleshly manner. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord for Him to lead you, to direct you, and He will do His work in you. And it will be glorious. Hallelujah. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I pray for my dear families, each and every one of them, the beloved of God. I pray for them, mighty God, even now. Lord, that you watch over them in this season. Father, I pray for that person who is crying before you even now. For this person, I sense in my spirit, it's a mother praying for her two children, a daughter and a son. They are going through confusion of the mind. There is so much chaos in your household. The peace has left for many years. Today, I declare in the name of Jesus that what the enemy meant for evil, God, you will turn it for good. I pray for shalom upon that family. I pray, Father God, for that cloud of darkness on that girl will be removed right now in Jesus' name. I pray in the name of Jesus that son will be healed of his infirmity. I pray for that mother to lay hold of you and hold on to you even now. I pray in the name of Jesus for that person who is in the sick bed watching this. I pray that you will rise up in Jesus' name. The Lord will bring all of this together. The Lord will work all things together for His glory and for your good in Jesus' name. Today, in the name of Jesus, I declare this over your family. That the confusion will leave you. That instead of confusion, you will have contentment in knowing that my God is with me and He is for me. Hallelujah. I bless you in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' precious name and the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance and give you shalom. Go in his peace, church. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you. God bless you.